it's like a curve where at the beginning this is the greatest story in the world this is the story that will win everything and change everything and then the curve dips downwards and it's like oh shit what was i thinking and then after that it just and it's like a real real depression and you have to reach out to other filmmakers like um those are who are your peers those who are older and and kind of have them tell you you know what it's it's fine you you pull through this too shall pass My name is uh, Lydia Matata. I am an independent filmmaker based in Nairobi, Kenya. We used to be uh, colleagues at the Star, and then at some point you left and started filmmaking. I know we had like a lot of conversation about, uh, you know, what you, about filmmaking and the challenges about filmmaking and all that. But then you were dead certain that this is what you wanted to do. Uh, what, what actually, you know? What took you out of the newsroom? What was the appeal? So at the time, I used to be, even before, even when I was in college, writing was my thing. But um, I think it was like the documentaries, you know, like Al Jazeera has started becoming a thing. And I would watch the documentaries that were coming on, like on Al Jazeera World and on Witness. And, and there was also... There was also um, this website where you could get to watch free documentaries, but now these are longer form, more cinematic, um, less journalistic and, and, and more um, cinematic storytelling um, or narrative or character driven or narrative driven storytelling um, documentary features. And I, like I was, I was really absorbed. When, when, when you're in journalism school, the thing that you an, associate with film and TV is becoming a presenter, and I wasn't really drawn to that. So, so writing kind of gave me, especially writing um, feature stories, was kind of like a film on paper somehow. And then when I started seeing these documentaries, it was like, oh my God, I could do this thing, and it could be visual and visually stunning and, and, and stuff like that. And at the time, I remember I had done, mm-hmm. there was that article I had done on atheists. And I remember when it was growing, I would see like the, like now atheists started being interviewed on TV. And it was the, the setup where you have the presenter and the atheist kind of defending themselves like against a pa- pastor. And I thought, you know, what's, what would have been interesting is like a documentary really trying to explore, you know, how someone in such a Christian environment becomes an atheist and their impact. And I thought, well, someone should make a film like that. Someone should. And then it started to change <laughs> and become maybe I should make that film. So <laughs> that's, I think, when the obsession started. It started with that one story. And did you make that film? The film is still in production. Um, so my first ever film, it's, it's hit a snag, but I am still um, filming. Um, I'm still going through the process. Okay, I don't know what's really going to happen with that film, but it's like it, it became the place where I actually learned the difference between journalistic storytelling and filmmaking because um through that film like i pitched it at docubox um docubox the east african documentary film fund and i had cut a teaser trailer that was really really bad i didn't know anything even the basics about sound recording i didn't even know and but they accepted it and they used that as an opportunity to teach me okay 
this is the basics of filmmaking. If people can't hear anything, they can't watch your film, first of all. And then this, and then you can't, I remember I had gone and interviewed at that time. I was still, I was still working at the star. And I remember you had encouraged me to do this. And I had used my leave and my savings to go to Uganda. And I was here in Kenya. I tried to go to Rwanda, but it didn't work out. And interviewed everyone who said on Facebook or anywhere else on the internet that was an atheist. But then they taught me, well, you can't do that. You have to, you know, wilt it down to one person. And I've been following that one person for a couple of years. Um, and it's had its own challenges. But from then, like the expertise has grown. Where now I understand how to do this more and more. Like I'm not an expert, but like I'm, I feel like I'm on my way mm-hmm. um, every day. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the sort of mindset uh, that, that you have to have uh, when you're a filmmaker, because the churn rate when it comes to the actual output of what you're working on takes a lot of time compared to when we were in the newsroom where you'll be working on a story for a couple of hours and it's out and you can measure its impact. I mean, how have you had to readjust from kind of, you know, working in a newsroom and, you know, churning out daily stories to now working on a project which could take months or years? I think it's just kind of, I think you just have to be obsessed. And it's like a curve where, like at the beginning, I remember like one of the mentors at one of the workshops I was at said, it's like a curve where at the beginning, this is the greatest story in the world. This is the story that will win everything and change everything. And then the curve dips downwards and it's like, oh shit, what was I thinking? And then after that, it just, and it's like a real, real depression. And you have to reach out to other filmmakers, like um, those are who are your peers, those who are older, and, and kind of have them tell you, you know what, it's, it's fine, you, you pull through, this too shall pass. And then at the end, it's like, okay, maybe it's not the greatest story in the world, but, you know, it's okay. I'm done. I finished something and I'm alive and I still have my health and I still have my friends. And then there are sometimes like when you put out something, it really, really, really does well. And then you kind of like look back and think, you know, there was that time that you stayed on it and it and that film did this thing and it took you to all these other places or, or that project or whatever. The people probably listening to this and thinking, you know what, I kind of like in the same space where Lydia was when uh, uh, she was still at the star and I want to also go out there and, and, and do films. But, you know, kit is very expensive. Uh, story, like uh, we've talked about, the, it takes time and, and, and a lot of effort to try and actually work on the product and, and put it out there. So what's kind of the strategy of you know, just making a living in the meantime as you work uh, on your film? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of uh, follow your passion person, but then right now I'm more cautious, to be honest, because, yes, I do encourage people, like, if it has become an obsession the way it was for me, go for it. But then also, but it's also okay to still having had the job first before you leave. Because I remember, like, when I, 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 was, I wasn't, I didn't want to work. At the, it was a great job, but I, I still wanted to branch out for a very long time. But, like, in regards to Kit, it was the, the year that I chose to work at, continue to work at the start that helped me to save enough money to buy my, my first camera. 
and when I left, I was still freelancing as a journalist. So I was able to kind of keep, well, it wasn't like the same money, but I was still able to keep body and soul together. And then also to have something to keep me going. Like you, you need an activity through the day because if you leave and expect like all these things will happen, they, they can be months and months of inactivity, which is, I think, very, very bad mentally. And the other thing is, like, people have, like, different stories of how they came into filmmaking. And I think the advice that I would give is, yes, have those really, really large dreams, but it's okay to do smaller things. It's okay to, like, if it's a narrative, I mean, a fictional film, it's okay to be the extra on a set. It's okay to be, you know, the person who is a runner. That's like, because uh, you're the one who is getting everyone coffee and things like that. And when you're doing these small things, what you're doing is making connections that might lead to, you know, better paying work that can lead to people even coming together and saying, you know, we know you don't have money right now, but we can work on your thing for free. And little by little, you build your name. Um and right now, like there's, I think there's like a rise of, you know, the, the filmmaking industry here in Kenya. We were like asleep for a bit. Where that all these organizations, um, DocuBox, Creative Garage, and others who are offering like these really, really nice workshops. Um, DocuBox, I think, has um, led in like giving people grants when they have like having competitions where you can get a small grant or a large one, depending for your idea. And sometimes that can be that can even be a way like having these these passion projects and pitching and pitching to all these different places. I use as you as you still do this to other small jobs and learn. And I think it's also important because we don't really have like proper dedicated film schools and it's a lot of technical stuff like I didn't know sound. And it's by learning, like re- actually making a film that I began to learn the importance of all these things, light, sound, um, camera composition, and even the structure of how a script is written. And it's through kind of working that you get to understand these things. And then also don't be afraid to fail. Like a lot of the things that I made, the first thing I pitched with was crap. And I continued to make crap. What what was it? It was it was the it was like a teaser trailer of all these like atheists. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and it was hey, it was just <laughs> bad. It was very very bad. <laughs> and that's okay because you have to make a bad thing to make a good thing. And I was in for a very long time for these five years. I've made a lot of mediocre things, mm-hmm. and like some of them, I didn't even say that I'm going to pitch. I literally like. I remember I did this story on a guy who does dreadlocks in my estate. And I just told him, I'll make a film and put it on the internet for whatever reason. And it was just to learn how to make a film. And it's not actually the best one out there, but I learned certain things from doing it. And I've also been the person who makes tea on very large sets. And it is grueling and exhausting, but I learned from that as well. You've talked about uh, the... Uh, organizations that uh, are, are there uh, in Kenya and are willing to uh, offer grants to filmmakers. I mean, are they just giving that to anyone who expresses an, uh, or has an idea uh, about a film? Or do you have to have some like level of qualification? Okay, I can only maybe talk about, in terms of my experience, what's happened. 
when I pitched to DocuBox, I didn't have any level of experience. So they took a chance on me. Um, and okay, what I had had, especially when you're pitching for documentary, it's, it's really great when you have like some kind of footage. And at least I had that. And they and it was a very, very long process where you had the workshop and you are told, okay, go and back and make another teaser trailer. And after that, when I understood the, the kind of like more what I needed to do, I came back. And then I was told, no, this is still a little bit wonky. Came back with something better. And that's when I got the grant to continue. And... And then, and there've been other times when like Millet, which is like my directorial debut, it's like I had never made a short fictional film as well, but then I had been writing, I'd been been in workshops. Um, At that time I was also, I'm also writing right now for um, a Kenyan German uh, co-production, a TV show. And so I understood how to write a script and I had a great idea. So they so um so I won a a, a script competition um, also by DocuBoss called Short Shots and Shorts. They also have screenings throughout the year, and so I won based on that this was a good idea. And after that, I had now how to learn how to make a fictional short film, which is very very different from a documentary. And I've seen other people um you know at other workshops or or. Whether who are my who are my peers, my fellow grantees at DocuBox, some of them didn't have that background before, and they were they were given like it was kind of like me in 2015, where we are taking a chance on someone because okay you don't have that experience, but you have a very good story and you are seem very you seem crazy enough to follow it th- till the end, that kind of thing. So. I mean, I, I just want to hear a little bit about some of the works that uh, that you've done. I mean, you've talked about the Atheist documentary, and then you also talked about uh, Millet, and maybe you could also tell us a little bit about what's that about. But what are the other things that you've worked on uh, as well, I mean, since you started your uh, independent filmmaking uh, career? So, um, so I'll, I'll work maybe from present to past. Um so there's Millet, which is right now doing um, a couple of festivals. So Millet is a short film about a young girl called Kaji, who has been forced to go on a two-day Kesha. This is like a church retreat um, with her mother. And her mother is part of a very strange um, offshoot, almost cultist church. So during the Kesha, she finds out that her mother and the rest of the congregants are starving because the greedy gluttonous pastor who runs the church is forcing them, forces them to eat one meal per day. And that meal consists of millet. But then the young girl finds out that the pastor is secretly eating real food. So to save her mom, she has to prove that, you know, you're starving yourself, but then there's this pastor who is eating more than just millet. So, um, so that, that screened, so that was released in June of, of 2019. And, um, so I I attended the screening here at Prestige and people really, really seemed to, to like it. I was very, very happy about that. Great. How long did it take you to make it? Um, so we shot, so the production, the shooting itself was three days. 
and then um post production took a couple of 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 months because again I was in and out because of better better I mean better sound is the easiest film that's shot in in Uganda but then um yeah I think we were done maybe two, three months with the edit. Um, I know which is very, very long, but I think it was also because it was my first time. But then we were done by June with everything. And yeah, it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience, a learning experience and also just to see something being made. Um, I'm currently working on a short documentary that um, I hope to finish by the end of this month. It's called The Grieving Circle. So I'm basically following a young woman called um, Vivian Geico, who runs an amazing organization called the Empower Mama Foundation. So Vivian is helping other parents who are struggling with um, complicated grief due to pregnancy and infant child loss. And she started this work a couple of years ago when she lost her own child at um, around two weeks old and felt, you know, like kind of stigmatized by friends and relatives who, who, who made her feel that she has to get over that grief and have another child. And, you know, that led to, you know, complications like, like severe depression. And when she came out of it, she decided that she'll reach out and help other parents in need. So I'm basically following her story and the things that led her to the work that she's doing now. I'm one of the writers of... Um, a TV series called Country Queen. It's produced by um, a German production company called Good Karma Fiction. And the trailer was was out. And I was also I also acted as third AD um, during the pilot. And What's that? A third, a third assistant director is the person who kind of you take care of the director and everybody else. So um, so the so. Actors need a chair. Actors, an actor needs to make their way from wardrobe to makeup. The, the set needs to be quiet when people are shooting. Um, the director needs his coffee. The actor needs his coffee. So you're basically running around, taking care of, of everyone. And then you also direct, um, you know, in large films, you know, there's, there's a bunch of extras um, they're kind of called atmosphere who who make us seem believable. So the third a third assistant director is in charge of basically directing those people to you know move around in the marketplace as normal market people, or in the supermarket or in a cafe. So so that was I I, I was the third AD on the pilot that was shot on January, in January, and then um. Hey, what else? I know there's something else. Like it's in the corner of my mind. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Yeah. Um, so my new script, which I I kind of can't talk about because it's it's in it's in development. But then I'm hoping sure. to shoot in March. But it was um it was um I got to pitch it at the at a script pitch that the script pitch forum at Interfilm. Um, Interfilm is uh, a short film festival in. Berlin. So that was around the time you were here in in, in November, mm-hmm. at the beginning of November. And yeah, so I'm on course to, to go into production in March and hopefully release it sometime in April or May. And then, of course, there's Better Sundays, um, the documentary on the atheist, which I hope to finish 
in this lifetime and yeah so that's that's basically it i just kind of want to take you back to when you screened uh, millet uh, in nairobi the first screening in nairobi and you know you, you're talking about uh you know the feedback and the response that you got could you maybe just share with us what was the, you know what what are, what are the kind of things that people are saying about the film and the experience of watching it so pe- people's like reaction was is they had seen this happen, you know, a lot within their own, in their communities, with people who, you know, with, with loved ones, where you get into a religious institution because, you know, you need, you need some form of help, whether it's, you know, a mental issue, whether it's just, or, or basically uh, where, where, where people are unable to deal with, you know, day-to-day hardships and they, and they need that support. And then being blatantly exploited by that religious institution, but then being unable to to get out of it, even when people actually tell you that, you know, your 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 pastor who says you should only eat millet, I have seen him eating chicken and things like that, or or other bigger things. So it was so a lot of people really connected with it because I think it's something that right now um we deal with and it's 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 like a debate. Our like the religious institutions that we have now, religious institutions in the traditional sense, or are they just exploiting pe- vulnerable people and then making amassing a, a large amount of wealth from them? And I think also people generally liked the fact that it was it was a bit odd. I didn't use like money or anything to tell this story. It was it was millet. And it was like the strangeness of this Mabati church. So I think like it was it was a very it was a very like I think a very surreal, very, very strange thing. And then they were like it was like a very tragic story in terms of what happens in the end. But then I think there were also these moments of like very, very dark comedy that people liked. Um so yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, it's my first film, so I think me I see like a lot of mistakes, but I'm also very proud of it, and I'm really really proud that people responded to it and said that they liked it, and and also like um, my main character who was who is um, her name is Tasha Milan. It was her first time acting. Um, she is, I think she turned, she turned either 12 or 13 yesterday and she was just brilliant. And I really liked, you know, when we got up on, on, in front of the theater to talk to to introduce ourselves and I introduced her, mm. the amount of applause that she got. And I really love that. Like that's a moment that she will take for the rest of her life. And I really hope to make more films like with her, and I hope even like there were filmmakers who saw, you know what, she can act in my thing. So what's your favorite film? So I have, um, I actually have two. So there's a documentary film and then there's narrative. So for documentary film, there is a docu called Paris is Burning. It was one of the documentaries on the free site that I used to watch. Um, on the free site I used to watch online. Um it's basically about it's a nineties film about um the queer community in um New York in New York in the nineties and they would have like like ballroom culture basically. 
they would have these amazing balls where they would dance and 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 show off um you know like like their fashion and everything and have these competitions it was really beautifully done and really really insightful yeah and i think that's the thing i i was really obsessed with making something like that then the other film again my films are like from kitambos um daughters of dust um by a director called julie dash it's an indie film um an african american indie film and so it's basically about a group of african descendants who are living freely on some island in the somewhere in the american south um i forget the tribe i remember like they were nigerian they were they were descendants from african slaves and the film it's really shot beautifully on this island and it's basically about you know a community that is divided between those who want to go to the mainland and join what is um, modern America at that time, because I think it's set in the like 1930s or 1940s or even um, more far back than that. And this old woman who is leading like a minority group want to continue to stay on the island and continue on this and continue in their culture that's a culture that's been passed on um, from the the African the African slaves who first came on that island. And it's it's just gorgeous. And then they have, and I think it's one of the few, let me say, films by where African-Americans actually had believable African accents <laughs> as well. That's why I also like it. But yeah, but it's, it's, it's just, it's very, very beautiful. I really, really love it. And I, and I think like the, it's also, I think based on, based on, um, I think, like actual historical things. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Just my final question is, is, is kind of, you know, where we started because, you know, you kind of had this passion of, of storytelling and, and of filmmaking. And I just wonder, now that you've had this experience for a good few years in filmmaking and comparing that to the newsroom, I mean, can you see the elements of filmmaking, uh, the way you uh, you work and the, the values that uh, you have to ascribe to? I mean, uh, can you see that being transferable to uh, to the newsroom? Are there things that journalists who are working on, you know, uh, stories for the day, you know, what are kind of the lessons that they can learn from from kind of that slow, patient? Uh, way of working uh, when it comes to filmmaking. Let me start with the thing that I took from journalism to film. So one of the things is, me, I learned, whether I'm telling fiction or documentary, I learned what a good story was. Um, because even in filmmaking, sometimes when people don't have a background that kind of opens your mind to other people's lived experience beyond yourself, you kind of tell the same you know, run-of-the-mill story. A girl got pregnant, and then she was ashamed and then by her friends and then she learned, you know, from her lesson, you know, those kind of like typical stories. So the newsroom like taught me that. And, but then now going back to the newsroom, I think there's that thing of just valuing a story for what it is, that this is, that this is, this is a good 
thing to tell people that this is an interesting character, that this person is doing something interesting and important, that there's a way that you can deliver this thing and it will resonate with whoever is watching it. Like there's, there's such a beautiful way that this thing can be packaged. And there are a lot of stories that I see, you know, whether it's in the star or elsewhere that could have been those things. And there's, I guess maybe there's, of course, there's the rush that this is like a timely thing and, you know, you want it to get out before somebody else gets it. But then there's also, I think maybe leaning on stereotypical tropes as well. Like there's a way we tell stories about women. There's a way that we would tell stories about someone who says they don't believe in God. There's a way that, you know, like we, there's just a run of the mill way we tell stories about issues. And what filmmaking shows you is, is to, is to stop kind of like trying to make something and squeeze it into your worldview and really look at something and, and, and see in, the, in ways that it can be different. In how, it's an atheist, this is a story about someone who doesn't believe in God, but it's also the story of someone who, who has done something so brave by saying what they believe in and living publicly, and now that they might be isolated. Because family and friends and community still believe in this one thing, and they are risking losing all that. Or, yes, this is a story about someone who lost a child, but then it's also a bigger thing. It's also about how do we treat people when they are grieving? Do we just dismiss them and then it becomes a darker, more complicated thing? And then, or, or you know, and that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's that. It's just taking time and really being open to the fact that, you know, a, a story can be more, or can be beyond how we, we typically look at issues i do not know if i make sense at all <laughs> well what what i'm getting from there is that patient journalists make good filmmakers yes patient journalists <laughs> make good filmmakers because nothing comes from rushing i think also um the thing is like when when i when i went to the uh, i'm going to finish this very very quickly um when i went to when i jo- when i was employed or commissioned by good Karma fiction as one of the writers we took, I think, almost a year to develop one episode because there was no way we were going to walk on set and not shoot, you know, something that that peop- that, that that is going to be of quality. And that may sound, you know, ridiculous, but at the end of the day, you know, it's 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 that process that led to. You know, a trailer that had almost, I think, over 5,000 views on YouTube. And so there's that thing of, of you want to chase an audience instead of just waiting and taking time on something and letting the audience find you. Because they'll see that this is a quality thing. They will realize that, oh, this thing too, took two years. Oh, I understand why it took two years. Because it's amazing. Or two months or a month. Because it's really, really amazing. Because you really, really wanted to do something good, and people appreciate that, I think. Yeah. That was Lydia Matata, independent filmmaker in Kenya. You can now download my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, if you have an Android phone, and it's also on Spotify and SoundCloud. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And of course, leave a rating when you find it. 
If you have any questions or comments, I'm always on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. And as always, thank you so much for listening and for your comments. And until next time, bye-bye.